when Billy Bob Thornton arrived on the first day, he looked at his trailer and he was like, I have to share it with three other people. I was like, yeah, sorry. He was like, I haven't done that for years. <laughs> I was like, yeah, thanks. Hello and welcome to Red Carpet Rookies. My name is Mike Battle, a screenwriter and production team member working for studios in London. Each episode, I bring you advice and stories from film and TV professionals to help educate and empower the next generation of filmmakers and crew. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started. Today's guest is BAFTA and Turner Prize nominated multi-hyphenate director, writer, producer, photographer and artist Sam Taylor-Johnson OBE. Starting her creative life as an art student in London, Sam rose to prominence as part of the young British artists movement of the 1990s alongside the likes of Damien Hirst and Tracy Emin, exhibiting memorable works such as a video portrait of David Beckham sleeping and her collection Crying Men, which depicted Hollywood icons in their most vulnerable state. From there, she turned her hand to directing films with 2009's Nowhere Boy, followed by Fifty Shades of Grey and much more. I can't wait to learn about her filmmaking process through the artist lens, so please welcome to the show, Sam Taylor-Johnson. Hey, so good to be here. Now, I ask every single one of my guests as the first question, what did your parents do and did it affect your career choices moving forward? Huh, that's such a good question to start with and so unexpected. My, Because it's a complicated answer. My, my dad, my real dad, who I grew up with till I was nine, I don't exactly know what he does. He's sort of quite secretive. Now, that's not him kind of creating mystery, but I know he... Um, is a chartered surveyor sort of thing, or maybe an architect or in that sort of world. So vague. Um, And my mom is totally spiritually connected with astrology and yoga. And that's what she would probably say she does. Interesting, because often with my guests, their older parents can be a little bit difficult, maybe if they say I'm moving into a career in filmmaking. And being an artist, which is obviously what you were first in the very traditional sense of the word, is known to be sort of the most difficult. Did you have any difficulty when you first explained that to them? Maybe not with your mum so much. Not with either of them, really. I mean, I have... It's a it's it's a complex situation that I have with my parents. I was sort of very kind of, if you like, disassociated with them from from an earlyish age. And so therefore my my path was my own. And I kind of forged that with a vigor. And that's what I was doing. It didn't really sort of come into question as to whether they would approve or disapprove. It was just that's what I'm doing. So um yeah, it, it comes from a complex history with my parents. People who move into the arts um, often find mentors along the way. And it's something I really like Mm. to ask about in this podcast series. Could you talk about Max, who you met during your childhood years? Max? Which Max? Max with the swan drawing. Oh, my God. So Max, when I was a kid, was a friend of my mom's who once came around. And he was an extraordinary person. He, um, He was a lot older. I think when I met him, he was probably... He was probably in his 60s and I knew him until his late 80s, I think um, he was when he passed. Um, He uh, was an extremely spiritual person. Um, Our house was a kind of mecca for 
um, interesting and spiritual people, of which he was the only one I truly connected with. So Max once came around and, you know, spoke to me as a child then. I'm not sure how old I was, maybe 12, 13, I'm not sure. And he asked me what I was doing and I showed him a drawing that I'd done of a swan. And he, in that moment, said, you're going to be an artist. Now, that's something that, um, you know, people say to kids when they're, when they draw and paint, but I truly believed him when he said it, when he said, you're going to be an artist. It was like some sort of foresight and vision that he had. And um, yeah, he was quite an extraordinary person and a big, a big influence on my life in a very left field way, not in a sort of pragmatic, um, this is, you know, what you do to get to where you need to be sort of way. He was, he was much more of a sort of spirit guide, if you like. You're taking me down that path, you see. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, there is a segue. And that segue is um, going from Max into later mentors. Am I right Mm. that it was Anthony Minghella who played a part in moving you into filmmaking? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Anthony, I had met because I was on a board for the um, British Independent Film Awards and he was the chairperson. And I think I was brought in as the as the artist, sort of a different voice from the producer or the writer and, and, and filmmaker, I hadn't made a film. I was, I was just an artist. And uh, so it kind of gave me a freedom to be a little bit outspoken about films that I'd seen. And, and I'd, always, I'd always watched a lot of movies. That was my kind of escape, if you like. And, um, and anyway, what Anthony said at the end of it, he said, you're pretty outspoken about um, filmmaking and movies. And I don't disagree with what most of what you said. And have you considered being a filmmaker yourself? You know, kind of seen as you seem to know so much about it. And I hadn't thought about it outside of a mild childhood fantasy of um, directing movies or being in that world. Um, But, you know, I have to admit, I hadn't, it hadn't crossed my mind because I hadn't had, and it sounds, you know, it sounds funny, but because it never felt like a career path that was open or possible to me. And partly because I didn't know instinctually that it was um, that there were that many women film directors. And it seemed like such a sort of uh, far reach and such a distant um, possibility. And it was only when he sort of almost landed the suggestion that it sparked um an idea. And it kind of, he left me with that. And then um, months later, he called me back and said, um, remember that idea about you making movies. I, I've got a book that I think you should direct. And I've seen your, you know, your art films and the things that you've done. And I think, uh, I think you can do it. And so we sort of forged forward as partners. He produced my first short film and, um, and, you know, that went on to do quite well. And that sort of laid the path for making my first feature. But, you know, sadly, he wasn't a part of that because he died. But yeah, um, he, he definitely is somebody that ignited the spark of the idea to do what I do now. Speaking of your first short film, is that something yeah. that you think that young filmmakers should be still looking at now as a potential way in? Because obviously you had quite a career behind you already, didn't you? Mm. Yeah, I think it's the best way. I really, truly do. I think that if you want to be a filmmaker, making a short film is like a calling card. And it's a way to sort of be able to, you know, speak your story, your idea, um, set your path, show your, you know, your 
creative thought pattern, your, uh, um, you know, your ability to be able to tell a story succinctly. It's tough making a short film in a way, you know, to be able to have some kind of structural narrative and that's within a 15 minute frame. And, and I say 15 minutes because that's, that's really, I think the ideal length of most film festivals, which is where you will get your film seen, which is where you might then be able to raise funding for a feature if you want to, you know, take that path. But um, for me, the my short film opened the doors to me being able to direct my first feature. I don't think, you know, my art films or my artistic career would have opened those doors at all. I think, you know, um, in practical terms, that's not what... Um, people who finance films are going to look at. So yes, it was, you know, I, I had that knowledge behind me, but that that creative knowledge was what informs my path more than helped me. When you were on that set of Love You More, or indeed ones following it, one of the things I like to ask my guests is that I'm a younger crew member and lots of people who listen are, we look at you directors in the inner circle as the grown-ups. Do you still get imposter syndrome? Did you have it on those sets too? I get it all the time. I still get it. <laughs> oh, it's still like that now. I have that still. Everything I do, imposter syndrome. And I think that, you know, I, I stepped on set of a TV series that um, I just directed an episode of. And I and I stepped on set with Al Pacino. Wow. And it was a day one, a huge scene, intense drama. I'd never met him before, and this was this was my first day. And I thought, what the heck, you know, what am I doing here? How did I, how did I get here? And how am I going to pull this off without him noticing that you know I shouldn't be here? Feeling, um, and that I think you know, I think that imposter sin, imposter syndrome carries you through in a really good way because it makes you nervous as hell. It makes you feel like you're standing on uh, pins and needles in everything you do and it keeps you electric and alive and that fear that adrenaline and all of those feelings I think are absolutely essential to kind of you know just keep the energy of what you're creating alive so it's good to have it but I have it every time and it's you know I don't it's it's not good for your sleep <laughs> I love it <laughs> With someone like Al Pacino, you've also had, you know, a spate of other, you know, quite big names recently in your work, Helen Mirren, Morgan Freeman. Is there a yeah. way you approach dealing with actors generally that people, you know, of um, junior levels might understand, but then also further up the ranks? Yeah. How do you manage that? It's obviously such a difficult political issue, depending on the people in the room. It's immediate with, um, let's, let's talk about Helen Mineron, for example. She is an actress who has come from theatre. She's somebody who has done many, many films, worked with many, many brilliant directors. And when she, you know, looks to me for direction, she's trusting that I know the material inside out. I know who her character is and that I can gently guide her through the process of her, you know, delivering um delivering that character and the story so it's really about a confidence in knowing in your heart and your gut that you understand who this person is that you're asking them to be and um and that really comes from early days of connection with your material so if you read something and you're feeling like, I don't really understand this person, but I'm going to keep going, 
And if you don't then have an understanding of that person, the story, that scene, you're going to step on set feeling unsure and, you know, your actor will feel that. So it's really about, you know, relying on your own um, innate sense of who the person is and, and where you want them to guide the story and how you then just sort of, you know, gently guide. I, I'm, I'm a sort of director who... Um, I connect with the actors in a very particular way. I make sure that um, they sort of feel safe, I guess. And I think that's when when actors feel safe in your guidance is when you actually then get the best performance. Um, I tend to sort of step back and 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 let them be, and then come in and sort of you know gently maneuver. Um, Manipulate is the wrong word, but maneuver might be the right one. <laughs> but. But it's but it's really, you know, it's really comes from a place of um, confidence, not in a confidence in an arrogant sense of, oh, I know what I'm doing. It's a confidence in I have absorbed this material and this character to a place where I I'm almost them with you. Therefore, when I see you blink your eye that way, I'm really thinking, am I blinking my eye that way, too? And you right down to that sort of finite detail, in a sense. Um so so then it doesn't matter who you're in front of, if they can connect with it in the same way that you can. And of course, with somebody like Helen Mirren, Morgan Freeman, you know, they, they've been doing this a long time. They understand and know how to embody and how to become um, whoever it is you are suggesting they be. I mean, but on a, on a similar level, you know, that that's really talking about people at the, you know, the top of the game and who are ex- exceptional and, and have worked with brilliant people. But, you know, similarly with um, young actors, you it's the same thing. It's really about the connection that you both share through discussion, through feeling, you know, that they, they found something within the material that they understand that they want to then portray and, and you have the confidence to guide them through it, I think. You mentioned safety there and something that I feel like some of our listeners will be interested to hear about is the safety of intimate scenes. And I do have to bring up the big grey elephant at some point, as you so aptly put it. Um, Did you work with an intimacy (laughs) coordinator? There wasn't such a thing when I made Fifty Shades. Um, And the intimacy coordinator was really myself, Jamie and Dakota. We coordinated everything as a sort of uh, team and um, and how you know we all best felt comfortable shooting certain scenes and I think you know having that intimacy of a connection with the two of them and sort of almost building a bubble for for us within which to work and understand the parameters of where we both felt comfortable or all of us felt comfortable what we did want to see what we didn't want to see how we felt like we actually didn't need to see um certain things and and you know within those parameters to make sure that they felt uh safe and protected by me that was my sort of um that was my job that was my job was to make sure that i protected them in a way and uh and that they felt that too and that, again that comes down to a, a, a total trust i love that um moving swiftly away from uh, 50 shades and into something a bit close Thank to hope you. um <laughs> A Million Little Pieces, which is obviously real, much more of a passion project. Yeah. One of the things that jumped out to me, which I feel would be interesting to hear about for people mm. wanting to get into the industry and make films, was that, you know, it was a much, it was a lower budget, I believe, than Nowhere Boy, which is your first movie. And yeah. you therefore had to get a great crew in for scale. Yeah. 
how did you approach those conversations? Was it easy? Was it difficult? Um, you know, if I was trying to crew up now, I might be having to have those conversations for even less money, you know? Well, it was interesting. Um, so uh, you rightly said, I'm, A Million Little Pieces was half the budget of Nowhere Boy, and Nowhere Boy was my first film and low budget. So I think Nowhere mm. Boy's budget was... I'm, I'm so bad at remembering things. I'm, I'm very much in the present and future, never in the past. <laughs> but um, I think Nowhere Boy could have been $6 million budget or pounds, sorry. And A Million Little Pieces was just over three. Um, and we shot A Million Little Pieces in 21 days straight. And it was, it was tough because initially we had a $10 million budget. And this, the interesting thing, um, and take what you want from this, the $10 million budget went to an $8 million to a $6 million. Um, then there was a shift in who was producing it and financing it. And it went right down to just over $3 million. And so the consequence of that was we wrote it, Aaron and I, and we had to cut when we went to meet the bond company who guarantee the money, they they look at the script and say that this is impossible to shoot for this money. You have to, you know, cut scenes. We cut 50, five zero scenes. And it became, you know, tauter and tighter and smaller and um, more um, intimate in a way to the point where we were, you know, we were like, okay, so what, and it was an, it was such an exercise in so many aspects of filmmaking it was, you know, to a certain degree, having been through the experience, um, I'm not sure I've, I've done it. <laughs> it was one of the most creative things I feel like I've ever done. Um, but it was really totally sort of hands-on in the sense that we'd, you know, there was no writer to hand, to hand it to. So we had to completely streamline it and change change what the... Um, what the film was going to be into a very sort of singular journey um, and a very sort of um, a character-driven path rather than a big story. Now, if you've read the book, it's a big story, but we're in, in James Fry's head for most of it. So we had to approach it in a completely different way. And then in terms of taking it to, um, so it's um, Aaron Taylor Johnson plays James Fry, and then we had Billy Bob Thornton, Charlie Hunnam, Juliet Lewis, um, you know, and and uh, and um, a lot of uh, great actors, but approaching them with something which was a passion project and and sort of bringing them on board. And I didn't know I knew Charlie, um, but I didn't know Juliet Lewis. I didn't know Billy Bob Thornton. So it really was asking them to come on board and you know work for practically nothing. Um, in a sort of, you know, high, on a high-speed train. At times, we, I would say, you know, Billy Bob, Aaron, we only have time for one take. We only, we cannot go a minute over because, you know, our budget was so tight. So it was literally, we have one take, nail it. <laughs> um, but, you know, with great actors, you can do that. But I think all of them would probably say, you know, it was it was an amazing experience because we were sort of, you know, we were just um, shooting on the fly. We were moving at great speed, and um, and and what, one one little anecdote which I I like to share because it's such a good one for filmmakers was you know at the beginning of the book James Fry wakes up on an airplane he doesn't know where he's going 
uh, or how he got there. Now, if you speak to anyone who's read the book, they're like, oh, yeah, the guy who wakes up on the plane. Well, we couldn't afford a plane. Um, we had no money or budget for that plane. And I think it was $30,000 for a piece of plane, which would show six seats, a ceiling and a floor. And the producers were like, there's, there's no way we can shoot that scene. And I was like, we have to shoot that scene. I don't know. You know, it's so integral to the book. So um, we devised a plan, the actors and some of the crew and I and Aaron, obviously, and we finished an hour early for a week straight, which gave us $30,000. But we had to gather the crew, gather the actors and say, what do you think? I know we're already up against it here. We're already, you know, banging our heads against the wall for time. But I'm going to ask everyone to work at, you know, three times the speed, not just double the speed, in order to finish an hour early to save $30,000 to get a plane. So everyone agreed to try and we we did it. And then when the plane arrived on the back of a flatbed truck, you know, this little piece of plane that cost a fortune, um, it was literally such a jubilant moment for everybody on set. Everyone was cheering. Yeah, the plane's here. We did it. That was the, you know, one of the best parts of filmmaking is that collaborative experience where everybody is really in it together and can see the fruits of their labor in that kind of way. So, and and again, if you see the the opening scene where um, James is going into rehab and he starts sort of tripping out and the walls start kind of, you know, bleeding shit and then he's dancing and slipping in it, you know, the art department were, you know, well, how are we going to do that? And now normally on previous movies, I've had a budget where it was like, okay art department will present me like the ideas and there'll be an aspect of cg you know or all of that um that kind of thing but um what ended up happening was literally going back to my sort of art school days of trying to figure something out you know we had some plastic tubing we had to nail it to the wall drill holes in it mix a bucket of shit and pump it through these holes <laughs> and hope for god that it works because we only had one take because we couldn't then repaint the walls so you know, that experience of making that movie was so sort of back to fundamental, basic, creative, you know, experimentation and excitement. And, and you know, it, it was an amazing experience, it was a really rough one, especially after it was made, because, you know, there was a there's a lot of anger towards James Fry. So that kind of um, impeded its success. But uh, it's for me, you know, one of the it's a great film, um, yeah, and a great experience. And sometimes that comes from the toughest experiences. Yeah, that's awesome. It actually reminds me, you know, almost like you're on a short film, but you turn around, you've got Charlie Hunnam, you know, and all these Hollywood actors in the back, you're all cheering like you're in a student film. It's brilliant. <laughs> well, when Billy, when, Billy Bob Thornton arri- when Billy Bob Thornton arrived on the first day, he looked at his trailer and he was like, I have to share it with three other people. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, sorry. He was like, I haven't oh, God. I haven't done that for years. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks. But you can tell that you loved it. Yeah, and also the costume woman who was brilliant, um, Mary Hannon, she um, does, you know, did a lot of Tarantino's early movies. She was like, this is the first time I've had to buy costumes by the pound because she <laughs> would just go into these warehouses and just grab stuff. Um, but it was, you know, by the pound, which was sort of shopping in a very different way than she was used to because our budget was nothing. Um, anyway. 
Well, coming to a close here now, and I like to ask each one of my guests a little quick fire at the end. Mm-hmm. And it's my own ode to In the Actors Studio, which I'm sure you've watched many times over the years. Yeah. Um, it's just a bunch of quick questions. So if I'll ping them at you, if you come up with whatever comes up in your head, if that okay, Sam Taylor Johnson. Yeah. Number one, what is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever been given? Um, the best piece of advice I've been given in terms of work was a really kooky one in a way was I met Jim Brooks and I said to him, any advice from one director to another before I'm about to shoot Fifty Shades was the movie. And he said, yes, change your socks at three o'clock every day. And I was like, I did not expect that as a great sort of sage piece of advice from one director to another. But on day one of my shoot, a box of socks arrived that he had sent me and it said, don't forget to change them at three o'clock every day. And what he meant, I realized, was stop, pause, you know, take off your socks, refresh, have a moment, step back on set. And that's the time when you, you know, creatively tend to need to just pause and reassess what you're doing. So it was actually great advice that I enjoy passing on. And typically funny from someone like Jim Brooks. Of course. (laughs) Number two, do you have a favorite film? Difficult one. Um, I have a list of favorite films, but A Woman Under the Influence by John Cassavetes is probably the film that I refer to and go back to the most. Love it. Number three, what gives you a reason to get up out of bed every day for an early call time, if any at all? I think just the excitement of having um, the opportunity to go and create movies. I mean, it's a privilege and I get excited every single time. It's sometimes an early rough day, but never mind. (laughs) Brilliant. Number four, I like this one. Which job in the industry would you do if you weren't doing yours? I would say um, in the industry, I would say I'd be an actor. It looks so much more fun from where I'm standing. (laughs) (laughs) Number five, this is really hard. If you could work with one person living or dead, who would it be? Could not come up with the answer for this one easily. This is a tricky one. If it was somebody alive, um, I'd probably say Mark Rylance as an actor. I just yearn to work with him. I, I watch, I watch him in, you know, everything I can see him in a theater and film. And he's just the person that ignites a fire within me to, and a desire to work with him. Number six, what is a book that everyone should read? A book that everyone should read. Um, I would say anything by Emile Zola, because that was my first sense of incredible storytelling. Um, and I think the first one I read was called Le Bet Humane. And it was just, um, it's just, yeah, powerful storytelling from a very human place. Lovely. I'll have to look at that one. And finally, if you won an Oscar, who would you thank? This is a an odd answer. Also, obviously, I'd thank my husband, Aaron, for being the most supportive person on earth. But putting all of that aside and the obvious ones, I actually probably would thank my parents for giving me a really messy upbringing that sent me into a creative escapist place that lent me the ability to then become a filmmaker. I never thought I would say that. <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, that brings our time to a close. Thank you, Sam Taylor Johnson, for joining us. You're definitely our number one director, writer, producer, photographer, artist combo we've ever had. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Red Carpet Rookies. 
To help us grow and be able to interview more amazing film and TV professionals, please do subscribe and drop us a rating on the Apple Podcast Store on your iPhone or online if you're an Android user. If you're interested in regular updates, the best thing you can do is join our mailing list at redcarpetrookies.com or alternatively, find us on Instagram at redcarpetrookies or on Twitter at rcrookiespod. I also tweet regularly about my own learnings in the business at Mike F. Battle on Twitter, so please do come and say hi. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time.